If you really want to look at the future of your portfolio, look at the baby industry. We see that as a window in the future for all purchasing behavior in consumer goods. So when you see the trends start to manifest themselves in the baby industry, expect that they're going to make their way into adults and teens, etc. Hello, and welcome to Marketing to Mums, the podcast, the show which helps marketers, business leaders, and entrepreneurs sell more effectively to the world's most powerful consumer, Mums. Each fortnight, we bring you a deep diving interview with a marketing specialist from around the globe who can help you gain insights about this influential consumer. Let's hear from our host, Katrina McCarter. Hello, listeners. It's Katrina McCarter, your podcast host. In today's episode, we have a great interview for you with a really significant global brand leader by the name of Bill Partica. Now, Bill shares some really deep insights about mothers that he draws on from his 20 plus years working in the consumer foods industry. Bill's worked with some of the leading global brands, including Wythe Nutrition, Healthy Choice, General Mills, and now as President and Chief Executive Officer of Gerber Product Company. Now, Bill is leading one of the oldest baby brands in the world, and he shares with us how brands can stay relevant and build trust with today's mums by deeply focusing on understanding their needs, motivations, and concerns. Now, specifically in this episode, we have a look at the history of the Gerber brand, which I think is particularly relevant for our Australian listeners. Bill also talks about staying relevant when your brand was launched back in the 1920s, and he shares some key trends in the baby category. Bill also discusses why mums want to see more diversity in brand communications, and he's got a great story to share with you here. We also discuss marketing to millennial mums and the shift over in marketing to Gen Z mothers and fathers. Bill discusses how to build trust in your brand and he talks about some innovations in the baby food industry. Given Bill's background, we also touch on China and we really explore the Chinese opportunity and Bill talks about why you need to have a different strategy to attract Chinese mothers. And finally, Bill draws on that 20 plus years experience and shares some really invaluable tips on marketing to mothers globally. Now, I will say the sound isn't fantastic on this episode, but I do ask you to bear with us because the content is really fantastic. So sit back and enjoy Marketing to Mums, the podcast. I'd like to welcome to you to the show, Bill. Thanks very much for making some time for us. Well, thank you very much, Katrina. It is such a pleasure to be on your show. I've actually listened to a couple of your podcasts. Cass, I'm such a privilege to be here. I love the content that you you deliver to the to the public. Thank you very much, Bill. Now, listen, Gerber is such an incredibly well-known brand in the US since it launched back in the 1920s. For our Australian listeners who may not be as familiar with your brand, can you just share a little bit about Gerber, its history, uh, your product ranges and the countries that you're sold in? Uh, yeah, so, so Gerber, uh, like you mentioned, is uh, almost 90 years old. Uh, it was actually founded on the basic need that all parents have. 
which is basically to find a convenient way to deliver the highest quality nutrition to their babies. And uh, back in Fremont, Michigan, back in uh, 1919, Dan and Dorothy Gerber uh, had two businesses. They had a tannery and a cannery. And Dorothy challenged Dan to go find a way to puree peas in a much more convenient way so she didn't have to go through all that work every day in the kitchen. So he put his cannery to work. Uh, nine years later, uh, we have the world's largest baby food business. Which countries are you sold in, Bill? So we're really sold across the world. We have, uh, obviously, our, our origin is in, the, in North America, primarily in the United States. Uh, we have a very uh, good position in Latin America. Uh, and then we are the number one baby food company in Greater China, and we'll talk about that later. And then uh, Southeast Asia and a presence in the Middle East. Fantastic. Listen, one of the things that I've noticed is that the needs and priorities of mums have changed significantly since Gerber launched. How does a brand that's been around since the 20s actually stay relevant to mums? And I guess my question is in two parts here. So how do you stay relevant to mums? But why do you think Gerber has been so successful? Yeah, we have a, a, a heritage of really starting with mom first. So to listen to mom, understand her needs. And as we all know, in 90 years, those needs have changed dramatically. You know, the biggest trends that we've had to respond to is, is mom just wasn't looking for baby food after a while. And when she didn't eat baby food, she was looking for more convenient options uh, to handle the on-the-go meal occasion. Uh, she needed solutions uh, to satisfy all the different day parts throughout the day. And now we're, we're finding a lot of the meal occasions where, uh, and I talk about moms, but it's really become parents because the father is much more involved in, in raising the child uh, than he had been in the past. And now I've seen occasions around healthy snacking, healthy hydration, lots of opportunities to ensure that all children are getting off to the best start possible. Fantastic. So what are some of the big trends that you're seeing amongst parents in the baby category? Yeah, I think the... The category has been pretty stable, probably for the last 75 to 80 years, and then millennials uh, hit the industry. And it's not just baby food, we're seeing it across all consumer goods. It's a lot more, there's a lot more focus on transparency. You know, the consumer really wants what you see is what you get. They want clean labels on the package. That's particularly important when you're providing solutions for a population like babies. A lot of emphasis around naturality. Uh, consumers aren't looking for high science right now, especially when they're providing solutions for uh, the children. And a new emerging trend around uh, freshness. And we'll talk about uh, that platform within our portfolio a bit later. But that is a big opportunity uh, to find creative solutions to, to meet that need state. Mm, I, I echo all of those things. They're key trends that I'm certainly seeing amongst the parenting industry as well. Now, Bill, Gerber's actually become incredibly well known for a baby contest that it runs each year to be the spokesbaby of Gerber. And I know that you had something like over 140,000 entries last year. And I know that you attracted so much attention for featuring a Down syndrome's child to actually be the face of Gerber, your, your spokesbaby last year. And you've received so much praise for embracing diversity. And this is one of the things that we've really noticed in younger parents, that they're really rewarding brands who demonstrate diversity. And given the 
positive feedback that you've received and I guess this appetite by the younger parents, is diversity something we can expect to see Gerber embrace more in the future? Yeah, I think that's a great question. It's, um, I've been asked that quite a bit when, when Lucas Warren came into the mix, our, our, Gerber, our Gerber baby this year. And, and our basically, our response is uh, Gerber, the very brand, and if you look at the brand essence, is really based on the platform of inclusion. As a matter of fact, the position of the brand, uh, the mission is to ensure that all babies get off to the best start in life possible. And we always bold and underline all babies because uh, the inclusion uh, component of the platform is so critically important. So that is, we try to translate that across all activation, uh, the portfolio we deliver, the consumer engagement model, etc., just to make sure that we are living and breathing that promise uh, to the brand. The interesting thing about uh, Lucas Warren, you're right, there were 140,000 uh, entrants. We had that far exceeded any uh, uh, any uh, uh, photo contest event in the past. The choice for Lucas wasn't because he had doubts. It was of the finalists on the wall. He was the brightest smile on the wall. And it was so easy to make the choice. It, it, it's funny, and I, I probably should be more self-aware, but uh, I didn't know he had doubts. And my team had, my team had asked me, are you sure we want to go down this path? I said, what path? He said, well, you know, special needs. And I, I said, what's a special need? He said, that he has downs. And then I looked at the picture. I guess I could have figured it out. But it's funny that the choice really uh, wasn't, there wasn't an intention to it. If you've seen the smile, it was very easy to make that choice when we were comparing him against uh, the finalists for the contest. Uh, so successful. By the way, I'll, I'll just uh, give you some facts. We delivered more than two billion impressions behind that story. And it was it was interesting to hear how the social platforms were translating it. Some of it was around conclusion, uh, inclusion, uh, diversity. Actually, there was some positive messaging, a lot of positive messages. There was actually some negative that I was really surprised. And we tried to kind of stay above the fold, uh, let Lucas and Smile speak for itself, and it has been very successful. And this year, as we get ready to choose our next spokesbaby, I can tell you the number of entrants have more than tripled uh, versus last year's event, so we're super excited. Oh, wow. And listen, just for our listeners, I will put up a photo there of uh, of Lucas. He is absolutely gorgeous. And, and I can share that with our listeners. I saw a lot of the positive, I, I guess, publicity ar- around the decision. And I thought it was wonderful. And it, and it's something that's come very strongly through in, in my research has been is that mothers and parents want to see far more diversity in brand community, in marketing communications from brands. So I, I think it, it was, it was a wonderful decision. Before we continue with the podcast episode, I want to tell you about our podcast sponsor, Cooperate. Cooperate is a powerful marketing technology platform that allows marketers to visualize your brand's customer journey, deliver great content at each stage of that journey, and see how it all performs, all managed from one centralized location. 
Cooperate has been built by marketers for marketers. I've actually had the opportunity to see the platform in action and I genuinely think it's worth taking a look at if you're a marketer managing large brands which want to attract more mums. Now let's head back to the podcast. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Bill, is that you focus very heavily on the millennial mothers, but Gen Z or Gen Z, as you call it in the US, are all starting to have their children now. And I know that this is now becoming a key focus for you. And I wanted to ask, what changes do you think marketers who sell to parents need to be thinking about when it comes to marketing to Gen Z mothers and fathers? Yeah, very good question. Uh, first of all, I'll share some a word of advice to marketers. If you really want to look at your the future of your portfolio, look at the baby industry. That we see that as a window in the future for all purchasing purchasing behavior in consumer goods. So when you see the trends start to manifest themselves in the baby industry, expect that they're going to start to uh, make their way into adults and teens. Etc. When I see big FMCG today really struggle with attracting or keeping millennials in the portfolio, it's because they missed some of the trends that the baby industry missed. And I think if they would have listened, they would have been ahead of the game. And that advice goes to to, to Generation Z. I kind of look at the um, the groups very different. We spent a lot of time with Generation Z right now trying to understand their insight. Millennials. To simplify it from, from my point of view, really, uh, the reason they've been so transformative in major industries is because they don't trust new institutions. And if you think about it, think about when they grew up. They had parents that were losing jobs during the great economic downturn. They did what they thought they were supposed to do. They went to expensive colleges, racked up uh, college loans, expecting to get a good job. That didn't happen. So when they look at the world in front of them right now, there's kind of a mistrust of kind of institutional solutions. And that has really impacted kind of large legacy brands across a number of, of uh, categories. As we start to talk to Generation Z, we see two fundamentally different things. One is they don't, it's not about them. They don't take selfies. They don't engage uh, the social media ecosystem the same way that millennials did. You know, the millennials were, in some respects, were kind of the new generation because that's how they were raised as kids. I think Gen Zs look at themselves different, differently, a little more grounded and more practical in terms of what solutions will look like and how they can, how they can support that in industry. I think millennials weren't always, they had great aspirations. I don't know if their approach to issues were as realistic in terms of influencing the agenda of major companies and and politics, et cetera. Bill, I just wanted to touch in on that excellent piece of advice that you gave just earlier in response to that question to marketers around have a look at the baby category. I'm actually F- I'm actually an ex-FMCG. I used to work with Mars and also a Campbell's business called Arnott's here in Australia. And I uh, worked in the pet food area. And I we would always look to baby food to see how that was going to transfer into the pet industry. So I think that that is a, a really a significant piece of great advice that, that you're sharing there with marketers. Definitely, we see key 
trends coming out of the baby industry that apply right across. One of the questions that I did want to ask you, or I wanted to actually talk about was trust. We're seeing this as a really growing issue in marketing to mothers right around the globe. And I want to understand what Gerber does to build trust amongst families. Well, you know, this business, because it was actually built by a family, I think it's part of the fabric of the organization and the culture. Actually, we spent a lot of time being very specific around how we're going to articulate and develop our culture as an organization internally and how we're going to express that uh, externally. You know, if you think about Gerber, just an interesting uh, fact that separates us from anybody in the industry. There are about 135 family farmers that we've been doing business with for upwards of four generations. Today, they represent about 82% of all the raw material that we, that we purchase and, and use for our, our, our baby food. And our relationship, we meet with them a couple times a year. We have a, we have a practice called Clean Field Farming, which is a scorecard that we align to with all of our key farmers. And we have 200 people, uh, multi-generations of farmers in a room. We agree on the scorecard. We track their progress. We align on which seeds are planted in which fields and how they're grown and if they need to be treated, what the treatment is, all the way through how they're, how they're harvested and they make it to our, our factory where we prepare uh, baby food. So we really have control of the value chain all the way from farm to high share, which is, which is unique. And you're starting to see that message being delivered to consumers. It's always been part of the brand, but I think uh, marketers in the past thought that, that because of the 90-year story, they thought it was an old story. It's more relevant today with today's millennials and Gen Zs than it ever was. We want to demonstrate what we do to make sure that we only use the highest quality ingredients in our baby food. Uh, I, I I agree with you. I think it, it's it's of great interest to millennial and Gen Z, and Gen Z parents as well. They really want to know the origins of where their food is coming from. Now, just coming back to the grocery industry again, you know, this is my background and I love having a look at some of the changes that are happening in the retail space. And I noticed a few months back, uh, you posted something on LinkedIn that the baby aisle is changing. And I know that you're working with a brand, with a retail partner partner at the moment to bring fresh ready-made meals into the baby aisle in a refrigeration unit. And I was really keen to hear a little bit more about this innovation and, and I guess to find out how it's being received. And is it something that might get rolled out across the US? Yes. So we're in, in test market uh, launching a new proposition. It's called Fresh Full Start by Gerber. And it's a full line of meal solutions that satisfy a number of meal occasions and day parts uh, for babies and, and toddlers. And the insight, the insight went back to what we were speaking about earlier around the consumer's desire around transparency, freshness, and naturality. And this proposition hits on all those, on, on all those criteria uh, perfectly. Now, obviously, the biggest challenge is you move into temperature-controlled solutions into an ambient aisle you really have to work through the value chain and make sure that we can consistently deliver the highest quality consumer experience through a pretty complex value chain. So that's why we're in test market. Uh, this is a top scoring concept. Uh, the product fit and the hedonic performance 
versus expectations, it's it's top of the category. Where we're we're really working through the complexity of what the value chain needs to look like, what kind of infrastructure do we have to have to build to scale this and to deliver it on a consistent basis. And it's been received extremely positive positively. First of all, it's a baby like pet. These are unique categories that are just really there's a huge opportunity for premiumization if you can deliver value-added, differentiated solutions to the consumer. So that's the spirit of this. Um, I would say uh, we've had some bumps along the way as we were, as we tried to learn uh, the value chain, but we actually had a very interesting insight of developing a team. So I work in a big organization, lots of processes, bureaucracy, uh, complexity, and most of our our processes are there for a reason, but when you want a team to act like entrepreneurs, you really have to empower the team to kind of operate, operate outside of the organization. And then once you have a going concern, you can bring it back in and you can start to apply your the policies and, and processes uh, to the business. So we assigned a very small team, a handful of people, I would say less than eight, to work on this project. They were all from key functional, cross-functional disciplines had the right attitude, they wanted to be entrepreneurial, they wanted to take risks, and they had a history of identifying barriers before they created problems and they found creative ways uh, through them. We developed the concept, protocept, and went in the test market within a year. Now, I've worked in a lot of big companies. I have never seen a team move that quickly, and they did it by having the right attitude and by uh, being enabled to take the business to where they, they had the vision, the vision of the business well in advance of me and they could take it where they wanted to. Uh, that enabled them to move really, really quick. I think that's fantastic, Bill. I love that you've taken that attitude of of running them as, as that separate group where they could be quite entrepreneurial in their thinking and, and perhaps work outside some normal confines within an organization. And I think that that's probably really contributed, as you say, to, uh, to, the, to the great success and the speed at which you could bring this to market. I'm definitely following you on LinkedIn and really interested to see how this plays out. It's something that we haven't seen in Australia yet. Um, but I do see it coming. Have you read Marketing to Mums? How to Sell More to Australia's Most Powerful Consumer? This best-selling book was written by your podcast host, Katrina McCarter. In it, she shares her eight-step framework to increase sales and profits. Whether you are selling a product or service, Katrina's methodology will provide you with the roadmap to growth. You can get your copy from Amazon. Turning our attention outside the US for a moment now, Bill, China with 20 million babies must be a very attractive market for Gerber. And as you said earlier, I believe you're number one baby food there in China. Can you share with us your experience in targeting Chinese parents and what kind of strategy and communication changes did you need to make to establish yourself in that market? So China is is probably the most dynamic baby market uh, in the world. As a matter of fact, the only market that has more babies is India, which is uh, roughly about 21.5 million babies. But China is about 20 million babies, as you mentioned. 
remember, it's a, it's a country that had a long-established policy called the one-child policy. So the baby is, a, is at the center of parents, grandparents, aunts and uncles. All the decisions are being made to ensure that the baby gets off to the best start possible. If you remember, the position of our brand is to ensure that all babies get off to the best start possible. It's a perfect intersection uh, with the Chinese consumer insight and what our brand has been committed to for, for years. On the communication side, the reason we're number one is really uh, the U.S., the, the confidence in the U.S. source of, of origin. So from a communication perspective, we really are taking our U.S., uh, communi our American communication platform, and we're taking it right to China. We may do uh, some translation in some cases, but really we're taking our American communications into the social media platforms, into the e-commerce platforms, and it has been very successful for us. If you, if you recall, there have been a number of food safety concerns in China. So focus on high-quality American-made products really responds to an important need that the Chinese consumer has. Yeah, that's really interesting, Bill. We're seeing the same in Australia. We have a lot of Australian brands that are moving into China. And again, uh, that quality and and origin, being Australian, uh, has really served our brands particularly well. Bill, you have got just so much experience in selling to mothers. I know you've got you're obviously a background with Nestle in baby food and infant formula, but you've also got a background with healthy choice meals and also you work with General Mills. You've got a lot of experience and expertise in selling with mothers. And I guess that's been acquired over, over a couple of decades. And I wanted to ask you, what two or three tips might you give to marketers or business owners who are listening today about what you've learned about mothers and what should marketers really be focused on in 2019? Yeah, I think there are a, a couple a couple things here. You know, first of all, by definition, a marketer is always running around with their hair on fire. They're keeping a number of balls in the air and and they're leading the agenda for most major organizations. My first recommendation, I've been a marketer for most of my career, is take the time to listen and respect the feedback. And, and that's hard because we're also very analytical. We come up with strategy and sometimes we're hearing things that are discontinuous with what our public research said and, and the focus groups and, and everything else. And I would say first listen, respect the feedback, and then Respond with transparency. So I've heard a lot of criticism of millennials, how difficult they are to satisfy. Their needs are this realistic, blah, blah, blah. I haven't necessarily seen that. I've, if you respond with transparency and, and you let them know what you can do, what you're doing to improve, and that you're going to track your progress and make a commitment to it as an organization, I don't think the consumer expects you to be all the way to bright day one. They need to know that you share their values, that you're listening and you're willing to respond with the solutions in the marketplace uh, that actually meet their needs. And then I would say take the responsibility as a marketer, the pure responsibility to advance the agenda for your organization. Marketing is not a function. It's, it's, it's the, the function that's in an organization designed to reshape what an organization could be in the future. And there are risks to that because it requires you to challenge the status quo, 
push the envelope a little bit, and to persuade. But those are the skills when I've seen effective leaders across a number of industries. Those are the characteristics that all good leaders have. And, and if a marketer takes that responsibility within their, within their own organization, they can be really successful. There's some fantastic tips that you're sharing there, Bill. Thank you. Listen, if people wanted to learn more about Gerber or get in touch with you, what's the best way? Oh, it's super easy. Uh, first of all, if anybody wants to look me up on LinkedIn, uh, I love to connect with uh, people on LinkedIn. Uh, they can also go to Gerber.com. So Gerber.com is the largest social ecosystem in the world. Uh, we have a newly launched service called Dottie. And what it is, uh, you can download uh, the app from Gerber.com. And Dottie is uh, short for Dorothy, by the way, uh, for Dorothy Gerber. And it is an SMS-based uh, application where you can engage with Gerber 24-7, seven days a week, on demand. You can talk to uh, our consumer services folks that can get you in contact with me. If you're a mother and you have questions around lactation counseling, sleep counseling, our early childhood nutrition. They're there 24 seven to answer any question that a mother or father will have. Uh, and we also have a pretty extensive platform on Facebook and on Instagram. So those would be the ways that I would get in contact with us. That's fantastic. And just for our listeners, I'll make sure that all of those links are, are conveniently available for you in the show notes so you can access those quickly. Bill, can I just thank you for your generosity in sharing your expertise and experience with our listeners here today? I've actually found the discussion really interesting and thought-provoking. Thank you for being part of Marketing to Mums, the podcast. Well, thank you, Katrina. It's been my pleasure. Didn't Bill have some great deep insights? I'm just so rapt to have a guest like Bill on the show and I really do encourage you to connect with Bill on LinkedIn. Bill and I have been talking on LinkedIn probably for the last 12 or 18 months and I've really enjoyed watching some of the news and innovations coming out from Gerber and I think it's it's so insightful to see how a brand that was launched in the 1920s can stay just so relevant to its market in 2019. So so I hope you got some great learnings from this episode and thank you for listening to Marketing to Mums, the podcast. You've been listening to Marketing to Mums, the podcast, the show which helps you drive sales and profit in your organization by developing a deeper understanding of the world's most powerful consumer, mums. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review and tell us what your key takeaway was or who your favorite guest was and why. If you would like to get the show notes from today's episode or any of the links mentioned, all you need to do is head to marketingtomums.com.au forward slash podcast. Don't forget to sign up to receive an email to let you know when the next episode is released. Thanks for listening.